Thanks for tuning in to the Ecom Growth Leaders podcast. This show is intended to highlight marketing and conversion techniques taught by today's leaders in the ecom world. I'll be interviewing the top marketers that are influencing the market, making an impact, scaling faster than their competitors, and doing good. I'm your host, Samir Al Kamuni, founder and CEO of Fetch and Funnel, a performance marketing agency specializing in omni-channel media buying, creative production, and conversion optimization. If you enjoy anything from today's episode, I highly recommend checking out fetchfunnel.com and sign up for our email newsletter where I promise to only send you content you can learn from and apply directly into your business to improve results and scale. At the end of each episode, my goal is to have you feeling inspired and fired up by learning from today's top innovators, marketers, and entrepreneurs. Let's dig into another amazing story about a unique brand crushing it and learn from their success and learnings. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining another episode of Ecom Growth Leaders. I'm super excited to be talking with an old friend of mine, Dale McCarthy, the founder and CEO of a really awesome bathing suit and fashion brand called Bondi Born. Dale, thanks for joining me today. Welcome, Samir. Nice to be here. So I'd love to just get started by you telling the audience just a little bit about yourself and, and about Bondi Born. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, well, I, I spent 20 years in corporate life, largely in marketing and advertising and media. And in fact, I've spent about 20 years now in digital, around digital. Like I was there in the beginning um, of when it was sort of, you know, first starting in Australia. So doesn't mean that I know a lot anymore or a lot more than anyone else in digital marketing because it's constantly changing. Um, but I decided that I wanted to have my own um, brand and my own business. And through that process of thinking about what I wanted to do, I wanted to do something that I loved and I felt passionate about and was creative. Um, Bondi Born was born um, in, when I lived in Bondi. And the concept of Bondi Born is to be Australia's um, most premium, luxurious um, swimwear company. And we, we evolved into fashion about, you know, two or three years um, after we launched. Um, we're now in lots of global, premium global retailers like Netta Porter and Saks and Harrods and Remote Operandi and Goop. And we're in the Middle East in big department stores and in Australia. So we've really done pretty well in terms of getting global distribution um, and about 60% of our business is wholesale and 40% e-commerce direct to consumer. So where for me I feel that um, the retail component particularly in fashion is really important. To, it's a way to get your brand known and seen even if you want in the end the end game is to sort of grow the e-commerce business but for us being on Net-A-Porter and being seen when people walk into, you know, Bergdorf Goodman stores, you know, it just helps with your brand awareness and the brand credibility. So then when people might see a, you know, digital ad for you or see you on Google, they'll go, oh, I've heard of that, I've seen that. Um, and for me, I'm a, I'm a brand person really uh, and I just think that brand is critical for e-commerce marketers as well 
I mean, I guess there's a, some people that sell, you know, magic widgets that, you know, are the best way to cut an orange or something and then run ads on Facebook and Instagram and, you know, you buy one and you never buy another one. But for most people, um, building a brand is quite critical because it, it basically builds trust with the consumer and recognition and, you know, helps the consumer make a purchase decision and then helps the consumer come back. So um, there, I think there are many ways to build brands and, um and, and I, we use digital marketing for it as well, but I tend to use um, like a wholesale, a lot of PR. We do outdoor advertising, we do magazine advertising, and that sort of helps grow the awareness and the value of people's, you know, the, uh, view of the brand. And then the digital marketing is where sort of the rubber hits the road in terms of converting people to, uh, you know, to sale and becoming customers if they haven't already. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I think you touched upon a a couple of really good points there. I mean, I think it's number one, you've you've always done a great job of storytelling, which I think is is really important. And you have a especially with a brand like yours, like you said, trying, you know, trying to be unique, trying to be, you know, the highest quality and and all of those kinds of things. The storytelling component's so important and, and you've got a great unique brand. Uh, but then, you know, I, I, I agree with you that the importance of connecting physical and digital, um, which, yeah, doesn't mean that you have to open a brick and mortar store, right? To your point, no. you can you can still be relevant. You could still be in in on shelves and have people discover you through those means. Um, right. And they're going to do that, right. They're going to see your brand. They're going to yeah. look you up. Uh, even if they don't buy in store, it's still marketing in a way. Right. And they're going to, they're going to find your brand and yeah, we, yep. I give sort of bigger discounts to retailers who put us in their physical stores because, you know, yeah, you're, you're you know, people can touch and feel because for us, we are very premium and the, our fabrics are unique and amazing. And so if someone can actually go into a store and touch it and feel it, they're going to, they're going to really, it's going to lift their impression of the brand so much more than, you know, coming to our website, as beautiful as it is and all the pictures are lovely, they can't actually feel or experience the tactile difference. So, yeah, I, I do think stores um, or physical physical interaction with um, products is critical to brand building, which is challenging for, you know, direct-to-consumer brands. Um, but yeah, no, we haven't done, we haven't gone into retail stores, particularly because of COVID the last few years, and we're a summer brand, and so you know, you only think about buying swimwear and skimpy dresses for you know six months of the year. The other six months, you're not. So being having a retail store isn't really um, you know a high priority for us. Although I'll tell you how difficult it is to to find a good good new bathing suit right when you want to go on holiday, you know, in the middle of the winter. <laughs> always come to our website; it's fine. Free returns. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, ships worldwide. I think too, right? Um, yeah. So I'm curious, how do you define success at Bondi Born, and and how do you measure that? Well, I think there's a number of factors. I mean, as I said from the beginning, I wanted to build a business and a brand that I felt proud of and I loved. So I'm, you know, I I get a great deal of pleasure and I feel success because we have, I've gotten to the point now finally where my products are beautiful and they fit and we have fabulous products and I've gotten a really nice team. But, you know, that was a very hard slog for, you know, the first 
four or five years, as it is with most new businesses. So for me, success is definitely that I've gotten to the point now where, you know, the product's right and the, you know, the positioning's right and the price is right, you know, all those fundamentals of marketing. So I feel like I've got a business that I can now sort of, you know, pour some petrol into and grow. Well, the petrol's probably the wrong uh, analogy in, <laughs> for a B Corp. Um, and, yeah, and then we got we are B Corp certified and we're climate neutral certified. So we've done all those sort of peripheral things as well that um, you know, are very important to myself and the team and, and you know, consumers love it as well. I mean, all those little, you know, like shining the brand, adding things to it, constantly fine-tuning, honing, you know, to me, that's success. So I feel really good about where the brand and the company and the products are. And then I certainly, you know, I want, I want to grow. I mean, my vision was the reason I called the brand Bondi Born was that I wanted to grow it globally. And because I'd worked in digital marketing for all those years, I knew that I could. I didn't need to just you know, set up a corner store. I could build, you know, and virtually grow a brand. So for me, that's the next phase of success is trying to crack um, other countries. We've been very successful, thankfully, in, a, in Australia over a relatively short period of time and we've got a really strong e-commerce business here and a really strong brand awareness and we're, you know, there are various challenges to exporting and, and um, you know, doing e-commerce in other countries. Uh, America's a very important next market for us. That's our largest wholesale market. We know that the consumers love our product, you know, the women come back and buy it year after year, but it's about how to um, crack that market as a very relatively small company when you look at, the, you know, the thousands of other fashion brands advertising in America that have got massive budgets and, chain, you know, 20 stores and, you know, they, they're buying the same sort of um, uh, media as I am in Facebook. Um, so it's it's challenging. So you know, and we, we need to have a decent um, ROAS. You know, our return on investment. You know, we're you know privately owned, relatively small company. So you know, I I don't have massive venture capital budgets that a lot of the other e-commerce brands you know, in America do, where they just throw as much money at it as they can in the hope of just growing the top line. So yeah, that's that's a big challenge, and that to me will um, you know is the next sort of level of success that I'm hoping for but in order to get that success with e-commerce in America I know that I have to build brand as well so you know hiring PR agencies you know we just did a recent event in LA with a bunch of you know influencers and my creative director went over there and we did a little mini show and you know you've got to build those that brand as well so that um, your digital advertising you know converts better so, you know, I, I put an ad in, a, you know, uh, uh, ads in the um, flight magazines with people travelling on summer holidays and, I, you know, I know I can never track it. I know I, never, I will never know whether they work or not but I know that in order to build the brand in America I just have to get it in front of people um, and it's, you know, it's challenging. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it's 
you hit the nail on the head, right? Brand awareness is so important. I feel like a lot of, of brands sometimes forget that. Um, I like what you're saying, thinking outside the box, coming up with unique ways to to get the brand out there to, you know, potentially, I mean, I, I, I like the travel one because it's, it's a unique way to get in front of what I would consider potentially more affluent people as well, right? Yeah. You know, you're, if you're traveling long distance or, or even shorter distance, right? It's, yeah. it's especially yeah. now then- with gas prices, planes are not inexpensive <laughs> to, to get on right now. Um, and so I, I, I like that. I mean, I'm, I'm curious as you're thinking through those strategies and, and, you know, working with PR agencies and thinking about the brand awareness, I mean, what are some of the things that you use to try to differentiate the brand or, you know, or even ways that you're, you know, thinking about those marketing campaigns, um, you know, tr- trying to cut through the noise because I, you yeah. know, I also resonates with me as well how how difficult yeah. it is to do that. And and then with like you're saying, it's such a unique brand. You sometimes have to, f- to feel the product and and really yeah, to really understand the you know how high quality it is. Yeah, I yeah. mean, how how do you try to handle that? Well, I mean that we've done a number of things, and it, and as I said earlier, like I sort of feel like. That's one of the definitions of success in that I have built a multi-dimensional brand. So, you know, we originally, the original premise is always meant to be, you know, the best quality, so premium luxury. So from that we then go, okay, to do that we've got to have the best quality fabrics. So we spent, I spent literally three years in research and design trying different fabrics, you know, trying different pattern makers, trying different styles. So it took us a long time, but we found these um, sustainably made um, fabrics in Italy. Italy had some of the most sustainable um, practices in terms of fabric manufacturing in the world. I think they, I think they really are the best. Um, so we, we've now trademarked those fabric names. They perform differently on the body. Um, you know, we talk to our customers about, you know, what are you, what are you looking for? What's your need? You know, do you have larger larger bust or you want to hide your stomach or you want you, you really want to be on trend or you want something that's simple and comfortable so different women have different needs and we have we've developed a range of um, swimwear that really you know meets different needs so it's again it's about having this multi-dimensional aspect to the brand it's not just like oh I make swimwear you know you make swimwear 55,000 other companies make swimwear you know ours has so much more character and depth to it um, and then, of course, all the sustainability stuff, you know, we only make in Australia, you know, with little boutique makers who, you know, we see every day, they're paid fair wages. We check every single piece in the, in our warehouse and before it gets put in a, you know, in a packaging, you know, so we, um, we, yeah, we've eliminated plastic from our supply chain, you know, all our packaging's, you know, compostable or recyclable or, um, you know, all those little things that you just keep, you know, every Every few months, we sort of go, okay, next in the next three months, this is what we have to try and fix this. We're not as good as we could be on this. Let's fix that. Next three months, what are we doing here? Like we just got climate neutral certified. So there's just a constant journey of finding things to do to, um, you know, make the brand better, I guess, make it more lovable and more covetable. Um and, you know, we, know, we never stop on that journey. So I think it's, and you know, and, and then we do ways to make sure we do fashion week and we splash a lot of money on a big show, but it, it's important because people need to see the brand being successful in that context. 
So you just have to constantly look for ways, um, you know, to make the brand stand aside from its competitors and whether they're rational or emotional or marketing channel ways, you know, you just got to constantly try and push it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I love that. And, and some of those components that you just mentioned, I feel like also become a bit aspirational too, right? I think which which a, a brand like yours and a lot of brands are always shooting for, right? Someone someone wants to to see your swimwear and you know you want to give them the feeling of of right of 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 feeling super confident, feeling really good, right? And and uh yeah and doing a lot of those things, doing fashion week, doing things like that, I think sort of gives yeah. the aspirational yeah. feel of hey like now I am I am yeah. wearing a luxury yes. brand. I you know I do feel really good when I wear this. But I'm also making the planet a little bit better at the same time, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's going to last longer and you'll wear it more. And um, So, yeah, and also actually one thing I completely forgot, which was a bit remiss of me, is that, you know, our, our whole sort of design ethos and our style is very Australian. We think of ourselves as reflecting contemporary Australian style, which is more pared back and more minimal and more sleek I think that a lot of um, you, know, you know we don't we don't do frills and florals and you know we sort of keep it simple, which ticks the box of both you know aspirational design but also um, longevity of the products. You know they don't go out of fashion quickly. You know you can wear them for four or five years or ten years. You know and uh, your linen pants or your black swimsuit or your your maroon swimsuit. Um, you know, it's not like something you, you can, oh, my God, I can't wear that next year. It's just so out of fashion now. So, I mean, that's another um, characteristic of what we do. Got it. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of brands struggle with that, whether they're in fashion or not, sort of of following trends um, versus, you know, how do you how do you stay relevant and, and yeah, have, yeah, keep pieces that are, like you're saying, right, can last a long time. You always enjoy yeah. wearing yeah. them. Uh, pick it up five years later and still feel really great yeah. <laughs> about wearing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a. We do. We do have a, a certain amount of our collection that's sort of fashion colors and fashion styles. But we never we sell those mainly to wholesale because um, you know then they're not the one. They're not. They don't do the bulk of the e-commerce. I mean, the bulk of our e-commerce is women buying black one-piece swimsuits. Um, you might need to have the you know the orange one there to. The, attract people's attention and come to the site but we don't stock we don't the depth of stock is quite shallow for us so that it sells through and then you know that's it because that's one of our other commitments is um you know zero waste so and with fashion that's a massive challenge because a lot of the very wealthy brands just make so much stock they know at the end of the season they could have up to 50 percent left over and then you know it's ridiculous wow. the it ends up in landfill or they, you know, they flog it off to, you know, those really nasty discount stores or what they do with it, but, you know, they make so much, whereas we've always tried to make, to order and make limited runs because we can do that in Australia, you know, without, and in Sydney with our makers. Um, but it's, there's ups and downsides of that. You know, last December we actually ran out of stock <laughs> of most of our key styles because of covid um, the supply chain of our Italian fabrics went from six weeks to six months. 
um, and our makers have been locked down in, uh, you know, Sydney's lockdowns, so we sort of came a bit unstuck there. You talk about, you know, everyone makes mistakes. Uh, that was one of our... Um, it was very difficult to foresee, though, because we didn't realise until we went to all place our order for our normal fabric. They went, oh, you know, because normally they have it in stock or it might take two weeks or four weeks for the black, and they're like, oh, no, sorry, you know, six months. I'm like, what? Oof. Anyway, yeah, supply chains. Yeah, yeah, but I mean that's still very noble of you to 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 tackle that and and do the no waste because I I mean I'm I'm sure it's very difficult hurdle to 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 get over and and I mean especially when you're talking about fabric and <laughs> and you know all like all of the things that are involved from yeah from from manufacturing to to everything involved to get the product into someone's hands. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's a, a big, a big hurdle, but on the same time, I, I think that's a, a big differentiator for the brand too, right? I'm sure that that helps a lot with even the marketing because that's going to resonate a lot with people. Uh, I think we're all becoming more conscious consumers, right? And, and, you know, really thinking about what, what we put in our body, what we put on our body, all of those kinds of things, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that, that, that's awesome. Um, so I'm curious, what are maybe two or three of some of the biggest growth levers that you've you've pulled for your business? Okay. Um, yeah, for, for us, Fashion Week each year is, is always um, a must-do and really gives us the biggest brand awareness lift of anything that we do. So we do Fashion Week in Australia every every May because it goes global, it goes you know, viral, you know, social media pick it up, you know, media pick it up, helps with your SEO, it helps with, you know, everything just, I um, mean, sort of like a, a once a year bang. Um, so that for us is sort of probably the biggest thing. I've, I've struggled and I don't think we've ever really cracked influencer marketing. I sort of... Um, you know, some brands have just built on it. Uh, yeah, it's, I find it challenging. I mean, A, our product's very expensive, so to give it away to people is very hard. But, you know, if you're a makeup brand and your you know, product costs you know, 50 cents, um, it's very easy to give it away. But for us, it's difficult. And then getting people to actually wear it and tag you, you know, I've found it very challenging. We do it, but it doesn't, I don't really think it lifts. Us massively, Facebook advertising, Facebook and Instagram advertising is definitely um, our most powerful, you know, rifle uh, in marketing. You know, you basically aim it and sort of pull the trigger with the right, um, you know, creative and the right strategy at the right time of year. It just works really well for us. Um, obviously, email. Um, you know, it's the cheapest form of um, acquisition you can do, particularly if you've you know got loyal audience and uh, you know and you have very beautifully created emails uh, and then all your you know automated emails and you've left this in your cart emails so yeah I think you know email and um, Facebook work particularly well for us I mean Google sort of goes without saying right I mean I get I don't know I mean for us you know we spend money on external SEO agencies, you know, every time we write a product description, you know, we've got guidelines on what we, you know, what we should put into the wording so that we help with Google. Um, we spend a little money on Google Ads, but it doesn't, it's not as, uh, it, it's effective from a 
return on investment point of view, it doesn't really drive the um, bulk of, of sales that Facebook does. Um, Facebook and Instagram are certainly, um, you know, we rely on them to, to hit our revenue targets from an e-commerce point of view in, in a peak summit periods. So, yeah, I guess they're, you know, they're the three, the big ones. And we just have PR bubbling away in the background. You know, it's pretty low cost compared to, you know, the amount of money you spend on a PR agency is pretty low compared to what you spend on Facebook or, or Google or Fashion Week, for that matter. But we know it's just important to you know, be in the in the in the um, you know the Vogues and the Marie Claire's of the way of the world it helps with SEO, just helps with reach. So it, it bubbles away, and we always we always do it. So it's not one of the you know big returners, but it's just a sort of a constant part of what we do. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean it's. Love that you brought up email. Super important. I think it's always been important to build the list, but certainly, you know, every year more and more important to be doing that. Um, I'm sure for a brand like yours as well, you've got you know, a lot of repeat customers. I'm sure you've got a great lifetime value, all of those types of things. And so I, you know, I, and yeah. I'm sure, and I, I mean, I'm on your email list. Uh, I know you do you do great email marketing, even though I'm not your target market, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Right. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, you're still doing, you know, pretty omni channel as well, right. You're, you're thinking about, you know, plugging in in different places um, and and yeah. all of those different channels, you know, whether it's physical and digital, right, they all benefit each other. So, yeah, I, I think that's great. And, and, and um, I guess we haven't talked about drop shipping. That's an important thing as well for, you know, we just, we, we have one warehouse now in Sydney. When, we, when I started out, you know, we actually, our first warehouse was in Europe um, and our second was in America. And then we just had a 3PL here. And just the shifting of stock between countries and, you know, seasons, it was just mayhem. So um, we just pulled it all back and it's all shipped out of Sydney. And because of that, it has it does enable us to do um, drop shipping quite easily. So we're on Farfetch, which is probably the largest um, fashion retailer in the world, but we just do drop ship. So we ha- it's our product and we just sell it for, you know, they take a commission, same as the Iconic here in Australia. Um, so it's 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 a form of marketing. I mean, it's a form. You know, obviously it's a revenue generator, but it also again helps like the stores to be seen. Um, you know, if you're in the right context. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and and I'm curious if if you know, I'm I'm sure we have a lot of seasonal brands listening. I'm curious if if you feel like having the different continents and the different countries has has helped keep sales a bit. You know, I don't know. I don't know yeah. if consistent is the right word, but right here, because, yeah, you know, you know for those who don't know, it's pretty much going into winter right now in Australia, yeah, but yeah. but we're, you know, summer in Europe, summer in, in US. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good for us. It's good. Um, you know, we, we flip between seasons, um, between hemispheres, and we have, a, you know, a couple of months shoulder on either side. Um, although, you know, people like Australian, half of Australia will have Sydney right now is in Europe. They've all gone to Europe for summer. <laughs> so we've done really well over the last month with our, you know, um, our customer who's been travelling. Um, but, yeah, no, it definitely helps us. And it helps us to be um, relevant all year round. 
you know, because we can still post, you know, swimwear in the middle of the other hemisphere's winter because, you know, people on the other side of the world are interested. So um, it does often mean, though, for us that, like, our followers on Instagram will go up and down a bit because people don't necessarily want to watch, you know, look at swimwear in the middle of winter. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's good for us as a business to do both hemispheres. And, you know, as I said, my original goal was to be global, so we've got to keep Got to keep trying. Got to keep, you know, chipping away at those international markets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can be a sensitive and sore subject to see people in bathing suits when you're in the middle of uh, zero <laughs> degrees. And uh, yeah, <laughs> but on the other hand, it can make you excited for you know if you're planning that that vacation or that holiday, right? <laughs> um, I'm curious what role like creative and and content production like plays for the business and you know as you're looking at as as growing and and you know continuously expanding like what role does creative and content play it's it's critical i mean it is the brand i mean for us you know i guess there are two things that communicate the brand i mean apart from the you know the tone and the rational stuff i mean it's it's the product itself which is beautiful and feels fabulous and it's packaged beautifully when you get it and then it's our imagery, you know, so um, content's critical. Yes, we spend a lot of money on photography and, you know, campaign photography. We do um, we do two, for every collection, we do really two, two main shoots. One is, you know, selling the dream, as my creative director calls it, where it's just, you know, it's just visually beautiful and, you know, says all the, uh, you know, it always says Australia, always says summer. And then we do um, dedicated <coughs> shoots for video advertising. So in for Facebook and Instagram, video converts, you know, like 10 to 1 compared to stills for us um, because, and those ads are much more product focused um, because, you know, the objective of the ad is to get people to go, oh, I want to, oh, that looks really interesting. I'd like to wear that or I can see myself in that. So I want to go and check it out. And so you've really got to show piece on the woman's body and how it makes her look and feel and so it's much more product focused um content so um yeah and then of course you know the, the back to the old influencer conundrum uh you know we uh, i don't think it drives massive sales for us yes it helps with awareness but yes it also helps with content you know it's good for us to sort of have other people wearing it and sharing it and then we reuse those images and uh, you know, we'll send emails out and say, look who's been wearing our, you know, swimwear. So I guess that's the third pillar of um, content that's important for us. Yeah, and, and I'm curious because I, I think you're spot on right with video and, and a lot, I think a lot of brands are, are thinking through video and how they should go about it. Um, but a lot of brands are bootstrapped too, right? And and sometimes video production yeah. can be expensive and, and you know, getting – whatever component it is getting the models or or getting the you know the the right partner to do those shoots i mean do you have any tips or 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 tricks that you've learned along the way to well, be able to get some some video for you know lower yeah, cost yeah, or... yeah yeah so i mean now thankfully you know we can afford the top photographers and uh you know we have a separate photographer and a videographer and you know cast of thousands at our shoots but knowing the beginning, it was I sort of trawled around on you know Instagram and approached photographers and you know got some guy to do it relatively cheaply. So 
Like my daughter's getting ice out of the fridge. I don't know if you can do <laughs> No <that>. worries. <laughs> okay. Um, so, I, yeah, I trawled Instagram and approached photographers who I saw, you know, were doing shoots, whatever, and that would, I thought would be appropriate. And, uh, yeah, negotiated directly, quite cheaply. I mean, I was the stylist, you know. You know, I, I always I just sort of pulled it together on a bit of a shoestring budget. Um, and, that, you know, of course, I look back, those campaigns are nowhere near as um, sophisticated and good as the ones we do now. But, it, you know, you can do it. You can do it inexpensively. You just can't use the world's best photographers. Um, but, you know, it, I don't think it's an impossible dream, depending on, again, what level your brand's at. But I think what's interesting for us in particular is that um, – user-generated content, we use a lot in the middle of our funnel in Facebook and Instagram. So, the, you know, the beautiful campaign imagery sort of brings people into the funnel and then we use, in you know, as people, are, you know, for repeat exposure to the brand, we use a lot of user-generated content where it is, it is literally, you know, women talking to camera, you know, on their iPhone about why they like the swimsuit or, you know, look at this, the back of this dress. It's really beautiful. It feels great. So, you know, UGC is um, is important for, yeah, I wouldn't really see it as brand, but it's, you know, it helps, I guess, you know, to see someone talking about how much they like the garment. Um, but it definitely helps with conversion um, for our, you know, women that have gone through the funnel, if you just keep showing them, here's that beautiful brand dad again, there's another version of the beautiful brand dad, and here's another suit of the beautiful brand dad. You know, then they see the UGC and there's a woman, you know, who's in her bedroom with a, you know, with a camera, with a, uh, you know, iPhone camera, um, and she's talking about how it really supports her and everything. It helps. Yeah. So, you know, there are, you know, versions of content. I think TikTok's interesting. We're we're just starting to explore TikTok because, for, from our point of view, it had always been a little bit young uh, in terms of the people consuming it. But now, you know, our customers, sort of our core age is probably about thirty. But I think increasingly, like Netaport had just got on TikTok, uh, and you know, there are now a lot of the influencers that we work with are now just getting on TikTok. You know, like Rocky Barnes is a big model in America that we use and we're friends with. And she's, you know, now really starting to, uh, you know, she'll post on Instagram and then she'll post on TikTok. So I think TikTok is um, uh, really good for, particularly for, you know, as you say, bootstrapping brands who don't have massive budgets. Uh, you know, it can be done really, really well and you can grow really good audiences. And I mean, I'm just observing it. I haven't, we haven't done it personally yet, but I, I can see, you know, how um, some small businesses are doing a really good job of it. Um, we just have to think about it and figure out how you do it because it's sort of like, you know, you've got to have someone talking to camera every day, you know, almost and coming up with wacky ideas of how they, how they do things and that's sort of not currently in our uh, structure. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it, it's interesting. I mean, 30% of, of TikToks uh, above the age of 40, so, and I think it's like 10%, yeah, and 10% above the age of 50, so... Um, yeah, I mean, it, there, there are some numbers there. Certainly it, it decreases the older, you know, the older you get, but, uh, yeah, it's there. And, and I, I agree with you. I mean, I think it's, it's another interesting hurdle. A lot of, I mean, a lot of brands are right are trying to get into TikTok with rising costs of Facebook and all of those things. Right. But then yes, it's, yes. it's about, you know, it, I, and I think, 
you don't have to stick, you know, you don't have to follow all of the trends. I think, you know, it's easy to to get married to the idea of, of the dance routines and the things that are, are going viral, right? And the, the trends, right? We see the old Navy commercials and, and you see them doing the dance routines and changing outfits and like a snap and all these things, right? And so those yeah, things yeah. get certainly hard to to uh yeah to like you're saying right if you're trying to come up with new things constantly that that's a, a difficult thing yeah. but on the other hand yeah we just need yeah i mean i i know you're good I, I think it's something that it, yeah some things are are you know it is just slicing and dicing some of the stuff too right like i think you probably have a lot of great b-roll from any of your video shoots and things like that that you do sometimes um yeah. I'm not sure yet. Yeah, we, we sort of we need to really think think about it. This Australian summer coming, we've decided we're going to do it, but we really need to think, you know, because we've got our little formula now. You right. Know, as I say, we make our, do our campaign shoots with our really expensive photographer and our models, and it costs us a fortune. But then we just reuse that content for the next, you know, six months. Um, and now suddenly I'm like, oh my god, I got to create content every day. And how do you do that uh, in a way that's engaging and also um, appropriate for a premium brand. You know, I mean, a lot of the big luxury brands haven't been on there because I sort of go and, you know, try and get, try and see what other people do and figure out, okay, that's how you do it. But, um, you know, it's it's few and far between that the big luxury brands are really doing, doing it yet on TikTok. So it's, so yeah, we've got to spend some time thinking about what is it, what's our strategy? How do we resource it? You know what's it going to cost us each year, and how does that compare? Because you know, creating content on Instagram is just a matter of us repurposing our one shoot every six months, and I mean a bit of social media reposting. But TikTok, you got to pay for content, and then you got to pay for ads. Yeah. Yep. So it's yeah. I think some um, people love behind the scenes stuff. Like you could think about that too, right? Just like having. And even an intern just with an iPhone filming a behind the scenes of of the shoot, people love that, right? I, it won't be as glamorous as we everyone expects it to yeah. be. It's us running around. But that's know? that's the thing. Like that's that's I think that's that resonates a lot with people, right? It it adds some humility to the brand because I I think you're spot on, yeah, right? Yeah. With with the more luxury and premium brands probably not getting on the platform yeah. because they're. They're not really sure how to how to marry the two, right? TikTok's an entertainment yeah. platform, right? It's it's competing with Netflix in a way, not so much Facebook. Yes, yes. And right, yes. and, and so you're definitely trying to keep eyeballs on the platform, stay engaged, but also in less than fifteen seconds <laughs> sort of thing. Right? And there's you know, and you just can't fill it every day with, you know. Uh, UGC, like here's this person wearing exactly, yeah, talking about here's someone else going to, you know, finance hard because I, you know, you de- you probably need a dedicated employee, don't you, who's a creator? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it can, yeah, it can help, right? And and I think, I mean, that that that's a a pretty good tip in a way because I think a lot of brands, as you know, they're growing and and you know, you hire your creative directors, you hire your art directors, you hire those people. Uh, I mean, we're seeing time and time again, I mean, even even internally at Fetch and Funnel, like having a UGC manager in a way, but it but it's someone who's married between they're actually a little bit of a content creator themselves. So they can create some of the stuff, right? They can wear some of the swimwear, they can do some of the thing, you know, some of the UGC content, but they're also 
you know, finding those creators as well, assisting the brand to work, find those influencers or, or even non-influencers, um, you know, because then they're creating content so they know what works, what doesn't work, what to look out for, all of those types of things. Yeah. But then they also help you find yeah, others. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, my marketing manager that we hired is, you know, fabulous and her, you know, she has a job description. Her job description isn't, you know, get on, be the face of Exactly. But um, yeah. it's like she'd be good at it. So what do you do? Do you make her do some of it? But then she's not doing all the other stuff. I mean, you employ people under her, but then they'll be really young or I don't know. It's, it's tricky. Anyway, we haven't cracked it yet. We've, been, we've just started thinking about it, but. I do think it's important. I've been trying to, you know, almost avoid it if I could because there's so many channels with digital marketing. That's part of the, you know, the challenge of um, today. There's just so many ways you can spend your money. You know, PR agencies, affiliate agencies, SEO agencies, you know, Facebook agencies. Now I get TikTok, you know, it's like email agencies. So it's, it's um, influencers. Yep. It's really hard because you can't spend on everything. Yep. And so you've got to figure out works for you and do two or three well because um, yeah we just we basically canned affiliate marketing it didn't work for us at all after spending quite a large amount of money on agencies and um put a lot of effort into it didn't work so you just got to find what works for your brand yeah and i do think will work for us because you know our product is 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 experienced in very interesting places and you know sydney's a beautiful place to send messages from and, you know, swimwear and gorgeous clothes, who doesn't want to look at that, yep. you know, but it's, but it's not, as you say, you know, it's not like a Netflix channel. Like if, you know, I get it, I get it. I look on TikTok and I'm, you know, I, I, I like golf. So I can learn about golf. And then the other day with the Roe versus Wade, I spent like an hour just looking at Roe versus Wade videos. And, you know, I don't think I saw a single fashion brand anywhere near any of, uh, most of my TikTok consumption. So anyway, I guess every, depending on your product, um, you know, it's diff easy, different channels work better for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm curious, what advice would you give other founders, you know, whether they're trying to break different revenue marks, break different markets, break through different markets, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, but yeah I guess I guess just in kind of yeah. finishing up, what, what advice would you give them? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, as I said right from the beginning, you know, brand is critical. So if you're building an e-commerce business, you know, brand is great product and great messaging and great imagery and all those things that go with it, right? So you, you can't go into business without a great product and then you've got to build a brand around that great product. So you've got to do that first. So if you don't do that, then, you know, you're, you're just everything else you do subsequent to that won't be as effective. Then I would say... Yeah, trial and error. You know, in this day and age, it's there's so many. As I just said, there's so many different things you can try. You know, everyone. I'm not sure about most. I get. I would get literally 20 emails a day from people saying, "I can grow your business." You know, double it in three months. And there's so many different um, ways you can spend your marketing money, and you've just got to try stuff. And then if it doesn't work, kill it and move on. You know, trial and error is part of. Being in business, um, you know, try, try, make mistake, win, learn, move on, try something else. If it works, build on it. So there's no real right or wrong. There's no um, shame in failing. You know, there's no secret sauce. 
you just got to try stuff for your brand and um you know when you find a an avenue that has a nice slipstream and you're getting results go further down that one and you come across another one that isn't working you know pull back but it's it's um yeah it's just trial and error um, and just improving tweaking yep once you've been in business for 30 years you'll be fine (laughs) (laughs) you'll know everything (laughs) that's right yeah but the first the first five are definitely the hardest i think yep to you know figure all that stuff out because you've got to figure out product distribution channel marketing people staff all that sort of stuff it takes time yeah but but you've survived right and and if you've survived past that mark right then i think exactly like you're saying right you've got the experience hopefully you're still doing what you love from you know <laughs> that's why you got into it in the first place right and then yeah and then like i think you've you've made really good points in other channels about you know the the team that you build and and the culture that you you know harvest and things like that right and and you know that resonates with me a lot as well as i've built my team and and i think that is so important and especially as we're more remote these days and companies are being more remote i think that's even more <laughs> important easy to ignore yeah, yeah so yes. yeah I, I i appreciate that um any i guess in closing any good book recommendations you'd uh, you'd throw out there yeah i don't I don't read business books or self-motivation books, so you're not going to get any of that. That's okay. <laughs> like I read, I read for pleasure and to relax and switch off. Um, actually, I read a great book recently uh, called Freedom at Midnight, which is about um, Gandhi and um, Mountbatten going into India and, you know, working through the process of, you know, India and Pakistan separating. Um that will take you at least two months to read that book. That was a very long book. Um, that was great. Um, that sounds awesome. Gosh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a book. Like I read about a book a week. It's ridiculous. So let me just because I'm not on, you know, live. Let me just pull out my Kindle and see um, what's one of my favourites recently. And, and, and any good book tips for me? Well, I mean, I've, I've, uh, I'm, I'm definitely more of the businessy book kind of guy. I'm trying to get more into the non-businessy books. Um, mm. Yeah, so, so I, I don't have any good ones outside of the businessy world, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, one I'm, I'm rereading recently that I read, you know, when I sort of started the business, but you forget everything is profit first. Um, that was a really interesting one for me. It's a, such a short read too, and a simple concept, but I think it, it resonated. It says make money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 interesting because it's you know he in the book he talks a lot about all these businesses that are just always break even, right? And we're growing and we're growing and we're you know doing all of these things, and uh, we've really been isolating our books into different sectors in a way, right? Where our books were sort of like like normal all expenses and revenue and what's profit kind of a thing yes. right and and so we've really isolated those things into 
having sales and marketing as separate channels as we, I mean, we're obviously a little bit different as an agency, but we've, you know, been building a sales team. We're investing a lot more in marketing dollars. Uh, and so we've been breaking out those categories and trying to prove them to be profitable on their own, completely separate from just operational types of things. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's going back to basics in a way and making decisions based off of profit instead of, of kind of, continuously hitting the, the break-even point and and trying to grow right because i've i've done that many times or, or i've been good about hiring ahead and being able to predict those types of things we're not stretching the team too thin but that's a dangerous game right it's a slippery slope if, if you do that yes. um you know and, and something backfires so yeah it's it's uh that's been one that i've been just kind of digging into re- again recently and but but now easier to apply that the business is more mature than when I started reading it in the beginning of the agency. Yeah, yeah. In the, in the beginning, the book's just called Survival. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's called Do Whatever It Takes to Get a Paycheck. <laughs> yeah. Well, Thanks, Dale, for, for joining and super appreciate all the advice you've given. And, and I really encourage everyone to check out Bondi Born. Uh, it, awesome swimwear and fashion wear brand where, you know, really it's high quality garments that you're really going to enjoy. And again, thanks so much for, the, for all the advice you've given, Dale. Thank you so much, Samir. It was so lovely to catch up with you. And um, I hope there was some some advice in there or some of my experience that um, particularly startup businesses can learn from because I know it's, um, it's, it's a challenge. It's everyone dreams of having their own business, but it's, um, you know, it's full of ups and downs and not always happy sunsets. So you just have to uh, uh, read some more books like you on how to grow a business and, um, you know, try things and fingers crossed it works out. Yeah. Yep. You got it. Thanks again. Samir El Kamuni here. Thank you so much for listening to Ecom Growth Leaders podcast. If you are a successful brand that is crushing it and would like to be on this program, please visit go.ecomgrowthleaders.com slash podcast dash guest. If you got something out of this interview, please share this episode on social media. Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on social. Ecom Growth Leaders is sponsored by Fetch and Funnel, a performance marketing agency specializing in omni-channel media buying, creative production, and conversion optimization. We've partnered with 100 plus brands and generated over 500 million for clients using our trademarked Fetch and Funnel method. We have tons of content over our, at our blog, fetchfunnel.com slash blog, and also some amazing eBooks like how to crush your competitors and how to produce high converting creative. Thanks again for listening to Ecom Growth Leaders. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. So to make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show. And it means a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, fetchfunnel.com, or follow us on social. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>